If you just got here, um, we're talking about unusual. And uh, we started not with unusual on the level of you and me, but we started with unusual on, on the level of God. And the person that we came to celebrate today, he is unusual. God is unusual, not the weird unusual. You know, we always want to take that the strange way, but there's a good unusual. It's like, oh, I wasn't expecting that. That was unusual, like with God. I messed up, blew my life apart. He stepped in, took my blows, and gave me grace, mercy, forgiveness, love, and a place in his family forever. That's unusual. He spoke and the universe came into being without material. He made everything that is. That's unusual. He stands by his word every single time and doesn't fold under pressure. That's unusual. He's dependable. Like he's the same Monday as he is Wednesday. He's not on, uh, on medication. He... Um, he doesn't have highs and lows. He's just the same trustworthy, dependable, consistent God day after day after day, generation after generation after generation, era after era, millennia after millennia, forever after forever. He's just God, and there is no changing in him, and that's unusual. And everything about him, you can just keep going all the way around God. Everything's unusual. There is no ordinary. There's no mediocre. There's no average. There's no lowest common denominator. There's no, well, you know, let's all sort of drift to the middle and just settle down. There is none of that in God. Every day is a miracle. Every moment's a miracle. Every second's a miracle. Everything he does is a miracle. He's a living miracle. He doesn't have a beginning. He doesn't have an end. He's always been God. That's unusual. And it's just crazy. And we're here today saying you can know him. You can be in a relationship with him. And he, in, in a crazy thought, can come and take up residence inside these mortal bodies of ours by his spirit. Therefore, the result is that you and I should not be usual. We shouldn't settle. We shouldn't even have a mentality that says, well, what's everybody else doing? Who cares? We got an unusual God. Well, what's normal? Who cares? We got an unnormal, unusual God, an abnormal God who, who doesn't look for the, uh, the median or mean average. And if that's our God, then our lives ought to be being pulled up to him, Right? constantly closing the gap between our weakness and his perfection so that we start looking unusual in a world that is completely ordinary most of the time. And so we've been looking at some people through our story in scripture who are unusual. And today we come to one of the most unusual stories of all, and I absolutely love it. It's found in Acts chapter 16. If you have a scripture this morning, I'd love for you to turn with me. We're going to dig in about verse 16 of Acts 16 together. The book of Acts, just a little background for all of us catching up, is sort of the, uh, the, the short living history of the early church of Jesus Christ. So Christ comes to earth he lives a perfect life. He dies for the sins of the world. He's raised from the dead on the third day. He, he sees people. He, he lets people see him. He ascends back into heaven, and he gives the Holy Spirit to inspire these followers of his to go and now spread this message of the resurrection power of God to the known world. And as they go, the book of Acts records 
those early days, from the very, very first moment the Spirit came to the very first time the church, like our church today, ever gathered together and how the churches began to be planted in different cities and how the gospel began to spread. That's what the book of Acts is really all about. The book of Acts is written by a doctor. So I just want to get that in there because I like that because everybody thinks you have to go to seminary to write scripture, right? Well, you don't have to. You could be a doctor and have a really important role in God's story. Isn't that cool? You could just be a regular person. Now, doctors aren't regular, but you know, you could be a non-professional minister and be in the story. And this doctor who's writing this account was one of the followers of Jesus. He, he got on the wave as Jesus came by, followed him through his death, through his burial, through his resurrection, through his appearances, through his ascension into heaven, was there when the Holy Spirit came. And now, because he's got a really good mind, because he's been to medical school and he's, he's in the details, he's chronicling the story. And so he's writing from his eyewitness account of what's going on in verse 16. Let me back up and give you a little history of where we are in the story. Paul and Silas, this partner in ministry of his, have come to Philippi. It's a very important town in the world at this time, a very strategic city. And they've come there, and they've been just sharing the story of Jesus. And a woman has gotten her life messed up by Jesus. And she's invited these guys to come and stay at her house for a while to preach to her neighbors, her family. She's pulled everybody in and said, hey, I get it. I see it. My eyes are open. And so Lydia invites them to stay, and they stay. And so for several days, they're now in Philippi, and they're going back and forth every day to the temple to, because that's where they're finding their audience, you know, these religious people who don't know that Jesus is the answer to everything they've been hoping for. And so Paul's going back and forth, Silas is going back and forth, and that's what's happening in verse 16. Read along with me. It says, once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. Now, you might just circle that verse right there. If you're paying somebody to tell you about what might happen or not happen in your life, you need to pay real close attention to what's happening in the next few verses right here. You drive by these weird parts of town and you see the little thing out there flashing, you know, the little neon light in the window. Come in and I'll tell you what's going to happen in your life. I'll tell you whether that relationship's going to work out. I'll tell you about your job. I'll tell you about this, that, or the other. Well, apparently that's been going on a while. And this slave girl could do that. She made her living, or she she earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. This girl followed Paul and the rest of us. So now Luke is putting himself in the story, the rest of us. she, She followed us every day, shouting, these men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. Now that seems crazy, doesn't it? Verse 18, she kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so troubled. And the word troubled, he finally just had it with this whole situation, right? And you're thinking, what's wrong with that? What's wrong with having a slave girl come along with you every day and going, hey, these men are servants of the most high God telling you the way to be saved. Well, I mean, try that at work tomorrow, okay? Just hire somebody to come along with you to the office tomorrow. And as you pull into the parking deck, they'll put the back window down while you put the front window down and go, hey, everybody. See this lady right here, servant of the most high God. You'd be trying to put the child locks on the windows, you know, because you're like, I I, I am a servant of the most high God, but I work at Accenture and I'm trying to sort of slowly with wisdom and tact prepare the way for the kingdom to come. And if you are yelling out the back window 
the person I'm most interested in today is probably going to go park on the floor above me and, and avoid me all day. So would you just pipe down? And so finally, Paul has had it. And oh, don't we wish we had the ability to do this every single time. I've tried it a lot in life. Sometimes it's worked. A lot of times it hasn't worked. But he has had it. And so he turned around and said to the spirit, not to the girl, but to the spirit, because he was figuring out, this is not God here. We're not in harmony. We're not all working together here. This isn't, this isn't a unified approach. This whole thing looks, there's so many sermons in this. There's so many messages here. This thing looks like God, because why wouldn't it look like God if someone's coming along shouting at the top of their lungs? These men, servants of the most high God, coming to tell you the way of salvation. You're like, well, praise the Lord for that little girl. No, little girl is not working under the operation of the Holy Spirit. Well, how would you know? Because you had wisdom and discernment. Because you had been growing in the ways of God under the teaching of the word of God, being led by the spirit of God, and you had something that is very rare commodity in the current climate called discernment. And you went, you know what? You're saying the right thing, but it's not coming from the right place because we're not in harmony here. And so he didn't turn to the little slave girl and go to the slave girl, hey, I don't know what your problem is, but jet. He turned to the slave girl and, and he spoke to the spirit because he sensed there was a spiritual battle going on. And he said this, quote, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. Now, just footnote there, you're thinking, why didn't you do that the first day? (laughs) I don't know. That's a great question. I've been asking that question as long as I've been reading this passage. I don't know why the very first time he didn't go, "Uh, no, we're not going to have that. But he let it go on for a couple of days. I don't know exactly why, okay? So just to let you know, the pastor doesn't know everything. And some of you may know why, and that's awesome. Let me know later. But he finally had it. He spoke the Spirit. It says, at that moment, the Spirit left her. Now, you would think, my goodness, we were just going to the place of prayer. We had a deliverance happen on the way. God's power trumped evil on the way. You would think everybody would have just thrown a party for these guys and said, that's amazing, because the girl was a slave girl. We talk about human slavery in the world right now, 27 million people trapped in human slavery today while we're here around the world. Well, that's not new. Apparently, this has been a part of humanity. And so you're thinking, A, a slave girl gets the spirit you know, taken out of her. She, she gets freed and delivered. And this is all good news, right? Wrong. Because whenever money is involved, money has a way of trumping everything else. Verse 19, when the owners of the slave girl realized that their hope of making money was gone. Now, here's where the the real story for today turns around. That was just all by way of introduction right there. Here's the story starting to turn for us. Are you ready? When they realized their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace, okay, with other money-hungry people as their audience, jury, and judge. They dragged Paul and Silas into the marketplace, and there... They wanted them to face the authorities. 
So they brought them before the magistrates and they said, these men are Jews and they're throwing our city into an uproar. Were they throwing the city into an uproar or did they just say to a spirit, come out of the girl? I mean, I don't know. Might have been a little exaggeration there, but all the marketplace people thought, wow, if he keeps doing this and all the slaves get free and all of our, you know, in, in, in bonded servants get delivered, it's going to really put a dent in the bottom line. And so they sort of all rallied around, trumped the charges up a little bit higher than they were and said, these guys, verse 21, are ad advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. And so this is always the trump card. These guys came from Jerusalem. Now they're up here in Philippi, which is a Roman area, and they're bringing their, their stuff over into our world, and it just doesn't fit, and we don't want it. And so it didn't take long for the crowd, verse 22, to join in the attack against Paul and Silas. And the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. Now, just look how fast that happened. You're like, oh, maybe that's why Paul didn't do it the first day. Because as soon as spiritual power came into play, all hell broke loose. And in a heartbeat, these guys have their robes stripped off of them. And the Roman authorities, who just make calls arbitrarily, with full authority, had them stripped and beaten. Verse 23 says, after they had been severely flogged. So we're not talking about a couple of slaps on the face, pushed around, slammed up against a wall. We're talking about people's robes taken off, whips are pulled out. And these guys are getting lashes on, on their body. After they were severely flogged, Luke said, the doctor said, they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Verse 24. Upon receiving such orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. Music comes up here, verse 25. About midnight. Can we just pause there one second? So, so let's just re re review. Um, we went to a town. We preached the gospel. Lydia came to faith in Jesus. She invited us to stay. We stayed. We'd go back and forth to this place we were praying. There was this spirit-filled girl uh, that was really annoying everybody and distracting. Finally, we'd had it. And we said to the spirit in Jesus' name, come out of her. He did. The whole place blew up. We got thrown into the middle of the marketplace. The authorities came. The magistrates came. And they seized us. And they ripped our clothes off. And they beat us up and flogged us and striped our backs. And then they took us to the jail under heavy orders of security. They put us down in the inner cell, maybe the dungeon of the jail. And then they put our feet in stocks in the jail. So here we are with these whelps on us, this blood flowing down our backs, these open wounds on our body, our feet in the stocks. And now the clock strikes midnight. And this is where something unusual happened. About midnight, unusual rolled out. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Hello? That's unusual. I mean, a lot of us don't sing any hymns to God or pray any prayers to God at midnight, and we're just out floating around free in life. 
A lot of us are not praying at midnight ever, hardly, and we're just at home. A lot of us are not singing hymns to God in, in the latter part of the night, and we're just kind of driving around metro Atlanta somewhere. These guys have been beat up and ripped up and stuck down in a dungeon, don't know what tomorrow's going to hold, don't know what the next you know, chapter is going to be, and the clock strikes midnight, and they're praying, and then they just start singing hymns together. I don't know if it was good or not. Mostly when two guys are singing hymns, it's not very good, but they're just going for it. And the coolest part of the story to me is it says, the next line says, and all the prisoners were listening to them. No, duh, because they were chained up against a wall or behind some bars or in the stocks right next to them. They didn't have anywhere to go. There wasn't anybody going, wow, I don't really, I don't know what these guys are praying about. I don't know what they're singing about, but I'm out of here. No, they're stuck in there with them and everybody's listening to this unusual chorus that's coming up from a couple of beat up guys about midnight. So the first overarching principle today is simply this, being chosen and powerfully used by God on the A side and difficult circumstances on the B side are not mutually exclusive. So if we have a view of faith or following Jesus that somehow inverts that idea and says, you know what, being used by God or being in the story of God, being powerfully a part of what God is doing and having your clothes ripped off and being bit, beaten up and ripped up and thrown in a jail for no reason, really. Those things, those things are opposite of each other. What the text is showing us today is they are not opposite of each other. It is very possible and quite likely that the way God wants to use us powerfully is by allowing us to be under pressure and in difficult circumstances. Nobody wants to buy that today. I know it, and I don't either. Nobody here is going to amen that. I didn't expect it, and I wouldn't either. Nobody's going to be on the 14th row going, yeah, man, let's just get some more persecution. Come on with the hardship. Come on with the trials. Come on with the illness. Come on with the difficulty. Come on, bring it on. Yeah, that's not really what our hearts are all about today. But we do have this mentality that says, look, no matter what happens in life, no matter what the circumstances in life, we're not going to get in that weird place of going, wait a minute. If I'm over here in all this hardship, then God must not be at work. If I'm over here in all this hardship, God must not love me. God must have forgotten about me. God doesn't want to use me. God's not in this. And Paul and Silas are saying, oh, yes, he is. Because when the clock strikes midnight, they start singing hymns of praise to God. And all the prisoners are listening. It may be that God is going to use you most powerfully on the hardest day of your life. And if we spend our journey trying to avoid that day, A, we will fail. Amen? How many of you have been on a, in a hard day? Can I just see a show of hands? I mean, really hold them up. You've been, you've been up against it. I'm not talking, no, I'm not talking about you lost your keys or somebody pulled in right in the grocery store, right in that parking place, and you'd already claimed it in Jesus' name, and they <laughs> shot around there, and then they had a Darwin sticker on the back of the car, and you were like, what is going on? I'm losing my faith. I don't know what's happening anymore. I mean, I'm, I'm talking about you are up against it. You can't avoid those days. 
but you can use them to do something unusual, which is to magnify a God that's bigger than everything that you and I walk through in life. A uh, couple things just to note here as we just come around this idea uh, this morning. Um, midnight worship is unusual because it reflects a God who is bigger than our trials and it affirms the God who is in charge of our lives. Can I say that again? The reason midnight worship is unusual is because it reflects a God who is bigger than the trial. And it affirms to us, to him, and to the world that God is in charge of our lives. You're saying, well, that's not that unusual. No, that's very unusual. Because, see, worship is easy here this morning when we got all this stuff and we got amazing spirit in the house and we're all dressed and nobody's been beat up too bad and, you know, we're all here. But when the lights go out and you still believe that God is bigger than whatever it is that you're in and you still believe that God's in charge of your life, these magistrates are not in charge of my life, this crowd's not in charge of my life, that businessman who freaked out, who was the slave owner, is not in charge of my life, the guys that beat me up are not in charge of my life, God is in charge of my life and God is bigger than what I'm looking at right now. That, that is the difference between information and revelation right there. The way you go through the valley of the shadow of death and still have praise on your lips is if you've had revelation of God versus information of God. Paul and Silas did not get there, and once the stocks were put on and it was midnight, they said, okay, what does the book say we're supposed to do now? Okay, what's the next thing you're supposed to do? Well, it says in here on page 12 under section 4, Roman numeral 3, that if you're ever in jail at midnight, you should sing a song. What song does it say we should sing? Well, it gives three options. Kumbaya, <laughs> Lean on Me, and the other great spiritual, you know, hymn of faith, Pharaoh, Pharaoh. These are the three songs that, that we can sing. So let's pick one. That there's no manual. There's no information. There's no, oh, I know what we should do. Oh, I remember what they said at the seminar. Oh, I remember what we read in the book. Oh, I remember what, what they said in the series. No, they're in the stocks, but they have seen something. They've had revelation. They, they've seen something greater than what they're experiencing. Seven chapters before, Paul is this fire-breathing hater of Jesus and hater of Jesus' followers. He is killing Christians seven chapters earlier in this story, but he had what? He had a revelation. He was minding his own business when God opened his eyes to see how powerful Jesus was, and, and this, is, this is so important today, and what he saw in the revelation, and this is always so much a part of what people see when they get a vision of Jesus, what he saw was that Jesus was the persecuted one. That's what he saw. When, when Jesus spoke to Paul, he said, Paul, hey, his name was Saul at the time. He said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And, and you know how the answer would have gone. He's like, I'm not persecuting you. I'm persecuting these guys over here, these Christians. No, you're persecuting me. And the Jesus that he saw had scars on his wrists, on his feet. See, the revelation, the first thing you see is that Jesus is awesome. But he's got scars. He's been persecuted for the faith. 
these guys are not the first people who've ever been stripped and beaten for the gospel because the gospel himself was stripped and beaten for the gospel. And if you've seen a revelation of that Jesus, if the only Jesus you know is on a picture frame in a Sunday school classroom, have you seen him? He has that olive skin, a perfect complexion. His beard has been groomed with that Conair beard groomer, you know? I mean, it's just like perfect, like, I mean, everything's perfect. His hair is perfect and it's wavy and it's got those highlights in it. Everything's perfect and he looks perfect. His robe's clean. If that's your picture of Jesus and the pressure comes, you're going to fold. If your picture of Jesus is just information and the pressure comes, you're going to fold. But if you have seen him, your eyes have been open. You've seen revelation. You're going to per severe under pressure and you are going to hang on to your faith even when the darkness closes in around you i'll give you a couple of illustrations of how this works one of them is just real basic and human i was at some friend's house in fact the the person i'm going to tell a story about is a door holder here at pcc and they live up uh up north of atlanta and they had some of the door holders to their house for a gathering and shelly and i dropped in and they have a bunch of animal trophies in the basement a trophy room of their house i don't know any hunters among us here that like to kill things out in the wild and then bring it home and hang it up on the wall interesting dynamic they had some amazing things in their house and one of them was this thing right here, pretty crazy. Now, now that's not, I'm going to try to help you with this, okay? If you, right, I didn't get any response from that except, that's weird. Look, they have a dead animal of some kind hanging up on the wall. They had a lot of these hanging on the wall. This thing, if you saw it in real life, and I wish we could take field trips, one, you know, little small groups over their house today. This thing, you would stand there, and here's what you would do. You'd go. It is enormous. It's a bull elk, six by six, the record bull elk killed in the state of Wyoming in 2009, and I got a feeling there's some big elks in Wyoming. Guy that shot it, 20 years old, out on horseback hunting elk in Wyoming in the winter, in the snow, below zero. They saw this elk, because I said, what's, what's up with this? They said, well, here comes the story, and I'm just like, no way. I'll give you the short version of the story. They're up on a high bluff. They see maybe three quarters of a mile down below, they see the elk. But it's too far away, and they're, they're up on a high bluff with a cliff between them and down where it is way over there. And they're looking through these giant binoculars, and they see it, and they're like, let's go get it. That's what I would have thought. Isn't that what you would have thought? It's below freezing. It's a cliff. It's sun. It's late it's afternoon, so sun's kind of, you know, daylight's going all your folks are back at the campsite, like way back up there somewhere. You rode on horseback forever. You're freezing cold, and you're thinking, let's go get it. So what would you do? So we had to scramble down this cliff. It was almost crazy, snow and ice everywhere, and we're coming down this cliff. I'm like, whoa. We got down, and we started walking through the woods and the snow, and my snow pants were going, shh, 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 shh. And so the guide made me take my snow pants off. It's like, how cold was he? I think it's like five below. 
So what'd you have on? That's what you want to know, right? So I had on just like regular pants under the snow pants. So now I'm in regular pants in the snow in five below after I've scrambled down an ice and snow covered covered cliff into these woods that we're in and we're not sure which which way to go now and we're walking 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 we don't see nothing we don't find it we don't find the opening we can't figure out exactly where nothing nothing we walk we walk we're walking half a mile keep walking sun's going down we've still got to go back up that cliff and we just keep going i'm just standing there going wow And of course he tells me we finally, we're gonna turn around and something inside us said don't turn around and we just kept going and we came out the other side and there it was by a stream. It was the mating season and it had been really busy and so it was tired. (laughs) That's what they said. (laughs) Just give you something to think about in case you lose interest in the talk. And he said, I shot it from 40 yards away. Wyoming record. Six by six. It's on the wall. Why did they keep going? Because someone had told them there might be an elk over there? I think if y'all go down that cliff in your underwear and walk through those woods (laughs) that you might find something. Okay, well, they said it might be over there. Well, they said just keep walking. They said just keep going. They said just keep freezing. No, they had seen the elk. They had a revelation, not information. They knew there were elk in the area. They know there are elk in Wyoming. There might be an elk somewhere by that stream, but they had seen the elk. That's revelation. And the revelation, they said, no, we've seen it. We've seen it. We know it's there. We know it's there. We've seen it. We've seen it with our own eyes. We know it's there. We're going to keep going. Let me give you another picture, a little more heavyweight. The book of Revelations. We're going to talk about Revelation, last book in Scripture, right? And everybody knows how this book went down. We've talked about it at Passion City a lot. But just to catch you up, one of the 12 disciples, John, wrote the Gospel of John. Uh, In this Acts season of life, he's preaching the Gospel too. One of the emperors of Rome decides to, to end his life. But the, the history and tradition of the church says that God spared him under persecution and that he didn't die when they tried to kill him as entertainment to the emperor of Rome. And the Roman emperor was so freaked out he didn't know what to do, wasn't going to try to kill him again because you don't want to try to kill somebody twice as you've already tried to kill once for the faith because that would sort of bolster the faith, right? So they shipped him out to a, a slave labor camp on Patmos, an island, to quarry rocks for the Roman Empire for the rest of his life. For the rest of his life. Alone, no family, no wife, no kids, no freedom, no nothing for the rest of his life. And he's now late in the day. Old, old, old man. And I love what it says about him. I read a couple verses, Revelation 1 verse 9 and it says and I John your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus that's the only reason I was there again just to come back to Daniel again last week I wasn't there because I was annoying I wasn't there because I was the most irritating Christian anybody had ever met before I wasn't there because I was going through the office you know just being a pain to everybody 
The only reason I'm on Patmos is because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. That's all I've done wrong is the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. But verse 10, on the Lord's day, I was in the spirit. Isn't that awesome? Come on for John. You're going to see him in heaven and you don't want to have said, yeah, I heard your story at Passion City. And I went, oh yeah, whatever. You're going to want to go, wow. Because you're going to run into this guy in heaven and you go, unbelievable. Sold out to Patmos as a slave laborer for Rome, cutting rocks out of a quarry through your 50s and 60s and 70s and 80s. That's what you do every day. But man, they could not keep you from God. They could not keep you from worship. They could not keep you from your devotion, your allegiance, and your abandon to Jesus. Why? Because you saw him crucified. You saw him buried. You saw him raised from the dead. You touched him. You ate with him. You walked with him. You were there the day he went back into heaven. You had revelation in all the decades on Patmos, you never gave up on faith. And in the Lord's day, he was in the spirit. On the Lord's day, he was like, praise you, God. Praise you, God of God. You you were raised from the dead. You were raised from the dead. You were raised from the dead. Woo! And right then and there, he was taken up to heaven. And he heard a voice behind him. And it was Jesus talking to him. And he said, hey, welcome to heaven. I'm going to show you some stuff and I want you to write some things down. Revelation kept him in the spirit on the Lord's day through such a rip-off circumstance. And he hung in there. And that's what was going on with Paul and Silas. And when midnight came, in their mind, God was bigger than that dungeon And he was bigger than those stocks. And he was still in charge of their lives. And they decided to sing. That was unusual. You know, worship that uh, we talk about, some people I know and I get it. And I'm sure somebody comes to Passion City Church at some point. And I would understand this and say, man, those people are weird. I mean, they just raise their hands. I don't know what's up with that. And then there's a guy next to me who's like dancing, I think, you know. And um they, they jump up and down, some of them, and they loud, and they shout, and they're excited, and sometimes they're real reverent, and sometimes they bow down, and sometimes it's like this awe, and it's just weird. Man, that's weird. That worship is weird. I'm like, no, that is not weird worship. That's just people being people. Isn't that cool? Just go to the next concert that comes to Phillips Arena and look around and go, wow, these people are all weird too. This is unbelievable. They must have go to that Passion City Church. Look, they all got their hands up and they're dancing sort of and jumping around. They're so excited. They're so energetic. Everybody's pumping their fists. No, that's not weird. That is not weird. Weird is beat me up, strip me down, and lock me in the stocks, and I'm going to sing a song to God. That's unusual. And that's where the worship of these guys became unusual worship. You know, the, these musicians are so talented, so amazing. And, but you know, music's powerful. Like, do you know that, that we could sit, play a song in a major key and that would make you feel one way? Anybody know anything about music? Major key make you feel what? Make you feel happy, make you feel good, make you feel positive. But we could lead a, key, a song in a minor key and then what would that be? A dirge. You know, we'd all, it would bring us all down. Because keys are important. I want to tell you what key these guys were singing in. These guys were singing in the key of midnight. And the key of midnight does something in people's hearts that major and minor keys cannot do. 
The key of midnight explodes in the people who are listening to our worship's hearts in the ways that no one else can. And here's the thing that I want to help us all remember. This is going to come back through the story over and over and over. Shelly shared this a few weeks ago, but she talked about how our yes in faith to God isn't just about us, but it's about all the people around us. It's about the generations to come. It's about our kids and our kids' kids and our kids' kids' kids. It's about our neighbors and our neighbors' kids. It's about a city and our city's kids. It's about people we're never going to know about or meet possibly, that our yes to God is not just for us, but it's for everybody. Come on. When these guys were singing, they were just singing to God because their God was big enough. They were singing to God because their God was in charge. They were singing to God because he wasn't diminished by their circumstance, so they were praising him, but something else was at stake that day. And what was at stake that day was the salvation of the people around them. And I just say, man, if God can help me get this. Cancer, it takes on a different tone. Do you want it? No. I don't, and I just speak against it right now for whatever that's worth, and you don't either. But if it comes, what if the point of it all is somebody you don't even know whose life is gonna be forever changed by something in the key of midnight? So you're going to walk through it one of two ways, right? We're going to walk through it one of two ways. We're going to walk through it with, I can't believe this. Just going to get through it. Just going to hope for the best. Just going to buck it up. We can walk through it saying to people around us, man, this is awful. I do not like this. I do not want this. But come on, my God is bigger than this. He came out of the grave for crying out loud. Cancer is not the God of me. Cancer is not in charge of me. My protocol is not in charge of me. Nobody's in charge of me, but my God is in charge of me. And God loves me, gave himself for me, gave his son for me, has given everything to me. And he's in charge. He's on the throne. He's extraordinary. And I've seen a vision of him in my life. And I will persevere under trial. And people around you in that treatment ward or in the waiting room or in the doctor's office are like, did you hear that? Never heard anybody singing that key before. It says, look at this um, with me. So they're praying, verse 26, suddenly there was a violent earthquake at the foundations of the, and the foundations of the prison were shaken. Now just hold on to your, to your what if there because you're like, man, I, I want to see that happen. I want to see the earth shake, right? And I do too. But I just want to promise you tonight, I mean tonight, I always say tonight, I'm, I'm, we're four times in the morning. I can get the morning. We're in the morning. It's okay. It's nighttime somewhere. Um, we, we, we have to get this in our minds this morning that, that, that when we worship God Things change. The atmosphere changes. And you're like, well, I didn't see an earthquake. Well, maybe you didn't see the earthquake, but I promise you the earth quaked if you worship God under trial. 
Something changes. If it's, not, if it's not the earthquakes, your heart quakes. Something in you changes. God comes and inhabits the praises of his people. So when we praise him in the darkness, he comes into the darkness. And that's what you want in the darkness is the presence of God in the darkness. Even more than the deliverance of God, you want the presence of God. And he comes in the darkness and he changes you. He changes your perspective. He changes the way you think. He changes the way you pray. Something changes when we worship in the dark, you know, a mile from here, Piedmont Hospital has such a, a huge role in my family's life. I mean, my grandmother died there. I went there to have the Falcons team doctor put my leg back together one time when I was a kid. My dad went there when he had a brain seizure, had brain surgery there, had a stroke there, almost died there, my dad. Somehow lived through it and spent three months in that hospital before he got discharged to months more of rehab. And I can vividly remember as I was reading this story, being living in Texas with Shelly, my mom, my sister, my nieces, small family all rallied around my dad. And I was in Atlanta on one occasion. It just came back to me the other day. And I was there by myself at the end of a long day, and I was in my dad's room. My dad was in so much pain that every time he breathed, there was this audible sound of pain. And you know, I've been out to the doctors. I've been out to the nurse's station 20 times, and I've tried to get, him, get a doctor over there. It's, a, it's a, like a Sunday night, and that's just like you're on your own at the hospital on Sunday night. And I'm just, I go back in the room, and I just can, I can take a little dose of it, and I back out in the hall, and I'm back in the room, and I can't do a thing, and I got a plane to, to get on because I have to go back to where I live, and I'm just frustrated, and I don't know what he's feeling and going through, but I, I'm about to come undone, and I will never forget coming the moment where I had to say to my dad, Dad, I got to go, and I love you. I love you. I'm just kissing my dad on the forehead and, and just hearing that sound, pain, and then walking out that door and walking down that hall and walking to the elevator and getting on it and the door closed. And I just, something inside of me, I was like, God, I don't know what's going on. And I've prayed, we've prayed, and we've asked, and it doesn't look like anything's changing. Have you ever been there, right? I'll never forget, I'm looking at like gray doors on the inside of an elevator, and I said, but I'll say this today. Excuse me. You know, if it matters in eternity, and I just want to go on record right now in this elevator tonight is saying, I believe in you, and I believe you are awesome, and I believe you are in charge of our lives. I believe you are good and powerful and mighty, and I'm just going to praise you anyway. I don't know what is going on, but I'm going to praise you anyway. Just note that to the powers that be in the spiritual world. I will not abandon God in this elevator tonight. You say, well, did the building shake? No. No, but something weird happened. That's only happened about two times in the history that I've been flying Delta Airlines. That when I took off to fly back to Texas that night, the plane made a low circle in its leaving pattern of the city of Atlanta 
right over downtown, and that rarely happens. Oh, you get Stone Mountain and beyond, back and forth, coming in south of the city, but planes rarely fly up over where we're sitting right now. And I, right there, it's Piedmont Hospital. I mean, like literally right there. And something just came over me sitting there and I was like, God, you're on a throne in heaven and you see my dad tonight. And I trust you. My dad didn't remarkably get better. My dad eventually died. But I'm standing here today and my family's standing here today and we believe in Jesus today. Something happens. No, you don't have to applaud for that, but thank you for the encouragement. But I know we're just feeling that. But, but what I'm trying to say is, is that in this case, the ground shook, but in every case, something happens when we praise God at midnight. In every case, something happens, either seen or unseen in the, in the temporal world or the spiritual realm. Something happens every time. But the main thing that happens is we get our eyes back on God, and it holds us. It might hold us through tears. It might hold us just for the night. It might just hold us for the moment. It might just hold us for a breath, and then we praise him again, and that holds us to the next breath. But it changes something in us. It changes the temperature. It's like a thermostat on the wall. And that's what they did. If there was a thermostat in that prison on that wall, they went over and turned it to God by their worship that he came in that place. And when he came, the, 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 the earth shook. And look what happened. I'll, we'll wrap up with this idea. This is pretty cool, though. It says, um, a violent earthquake came in verse 26. The foundation shook. We read that verse 27, the jailer woke up. Oh, by the way, everybody's chains came loose. The jailer woke up. When he saw the prison doors open, he, he drew his sword. He's going to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, hey, don't harm yourself. Now, this is going to be an interesting deal here because the next thing says the jailer called for the lights. So Paul couldn't see the jailer, apparently. But he just somehow was feeling what was going on. Maybe the jailer was screaming to the thing. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. I'm just going to kill myself. No, don't do that. We're all here. Everybody's here. Oh, yeah, our chains are off and the doors are swinging open, but we're all still here because we're like you. We're freaked out right now because we think God just came in the middle of our hymn and we're all just sitting there going, oh, wow. Nobody's left yet. Don't you love that? Don't you want to go to that midnight church where nobody's left yet? Oh, my goodness. Jailer called for lights, rushed in, fell trembling before Paul and Silas, and he brought them out. And he asked a question. If you want to know how evangelism works, here's a great way evangelism works. Just sing at midnight. And wait on the Spirit of God to come and shake things up. The jailer asked this question, what must I do to be saved? Believe in the Lord God and repent. Okay, can I get my whole family? Because I want my whole family to get saved. Yeah, you can go get your whole family. I'll be right back. Whole family comes. Whole family comes to faith. Jailer washes their wounds. And church happens. 
so Paul and Silas get to stand before Jesus and they get the question maybe asked like this. Hey, just there's the jailer's family over there and all their relatives. Look at them going crazy, worshiping. Isn't that awesome? Roman jailer in heaven. That's a real story, by the way. You're going to bump into that guy. Who are you? Oh, it's the Roman jailer. For real? Your whole family's here. Uh Uh-huh, your whole family's here. My extended family's here. And then you're going to bump into Silas, and you're going to say, hey, Silas, the the stocks, the whole thing, and I met the Roman jailer yesterday and his whole family. If you had it to do over again, what, what would you do? No Roman jailer and his family here? Or get beat up in the night and sing about it? You see, something's going on in the world around us. It's powerful, and we've got to touch base with that. I don't know if you've seen the news, and we all have, but there's this pastor, I mentioned him last week, named Yusuf Nordakani. Got arrested in Iran. He's a leader of a church like ours, people trying to follow Jesus. And he's uh, sitting in a jail cell this morning under a sentence of death. I was talking with a friend this week who's Iranian and knows some of the pastors in Iran. And he said, well, everyone knows his story. I'll tell you the story of another guy. He told me the story of another pastor. And as he was away from home, the authorities came to his house. And they were at his house with his wife and with his kids. And they got his cell phone number from his wife. And the authorities called his cell phone while he was away from home. And when he answered the phone, they said, we're at your home with your wife and your kids. You need to come home now. And that pastor had to turn around and make a trek back to his house, knowing that when he got there, he would be arrested and thrown in an Iranian jail and possibly killed and never see his family again. And so while we're here this morning singing, worshiping, praising, it's midnight somewhere. And somebody is in the stocks right now for faith for the word of God and the testimony of Jesus right now they're getting the blows right now and if they're singing their songs coming up to God at the same time our songs coming up to God crazy and sometimes we get all that and we're like oh god look at us worshiping you here we go look at it and it's awesome that's really that's great but i got a song coming up to me right now from blows it's it's in the key of midnight and man is it ever praising me because it's saying my god is bigger and he's in charge even at the end of my life. We're in a global church. It happened there. It's happening now. Same God that held them, same God's gonna hold you. The question this morning is, when you go through, not if you go through, if I go through, when we go through the fire, 
will we have revelation to bear us through or just information that won't last five minutes under pressure?